In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Our presiding bishop, the Most Reverend Catherine Jeffords Shorey, has asked all of the churches in the Episcopal Church to think about racism this day. Her letter comes at the request of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church. And the AME Bishop, Reginald Jackson, writes, Racism will not end with the passage of legislation alone. It will also require a change of heart and thinking. He goes on to say, We will call upon every church, every temple, mosque, and faith communion, to make their worship service on this Sunday a time to confess and repent for the sin and evil of racism. He goes on to say this includes ignoring, tolerating, and accepting racism, and to make a commitment to end racism by the example of our lives and actions. Later on in this service, during our prayer of confession, I'll allow for a little more silence than usual, and I invite you to join me in that silence, especially confessing the ways that we have perhaps benefited from racism, the ways in which we have taken for granted the advantages that many of us have been given because of our skin color, and certainly to confess the ways in which we may have used racist words or actions in any way that belittled God's children. We will pray prayers of confession, but in some ways that's the easy part. That's the really easy part. How would we begin, in all honesty, to commit ourselves to end racism, as the bishop has invited us to do, to end racism? Given what we know about where we work, where we live, our country, the direction our country is going, the the mood of the world, we would have to be honest and say too many people in too many places still benefit from racism and racist structures. Nothing's going to change in those places anytime soon. While we may not be able to imagine ending Racism in our lifetime, we can and must at least begin to try to be less racist, to try to address racism in our thoughts, our actions, whether expressed or unexpressed. We can do all sorts of things, and many of you already work at these things, but as I think about it, I think we can do and must do at least three things. One is to to be more aware, to be willing to be more aware. The second thing is to be open to change. And the third is to listen. Some of you have no doubt seen the outrageously funny Broadway musical Avenue Q. I understand it's coming to town before too long as well. It's a sort of adult-rated Sesame Street. It's where the puppets swear and there's very naughty dialogue. 
When my mother once said she thought it looked cute and might go, I cautioned them not to. There would be too much to explain. (laughs) But like all great humor, like some of the the humor of Amy Schumer and others, Avenue Q makes us uncomfortable at a very deep level because of its honesty. Because Avenue Q is able to point to things that we don't want to talk about out loud. We're afraid to talk about, we're uncomfortable talking about, and so no wonder we're uncomfortable laughing at them. At one point in Avenue Q, a monster puppet accuses the other monster puppet of making a racist remark. And then a song begins. The song is entitled, Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. Now, listening to the song and watching it being sung by puppets is unnerving at so many levels. But it's even more unnerving if you hear the words. Everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Look around and you will find no one's really colorblind. Maybe it's a fact we all should face. Everyone makes judgments based on race. The puppets go on to sing and laugh their way through just about every possible racial stereotype you can imagine. It's horrible and outrageously funny. The body puppets in Avenue Q I think are helpful. They're helpful at least to make a beginning at talking about what we're afraid to talk about, at naming what many of us encounter day after day, at at least saying out loud that many of us, most of us probably, carry around impressions that are based in lies. We carry around within us misunderstandings that have simply been handed down to us and perhaps have lived within us unquestioned. And it even seems as though people of all races make assumptions. The Bishop of Maryland, the Right Reverend Eugene Sutton, many of you know Eugene from his time at the cathedral, but Bishop Sutton tells a story about how sometimes when he is apart with African-American Christian friends who are not Episcopalians, They'll pull him aside, and when they're finally comfortable asking him, they'll say to him, Eugene, what are you doing in that white church? Bishop Sutton, you can tell, probably sort of likes getting that question from his friends, because he has his answer ready. He tells them, well, actually, I'm a member of a predominantly black church. He goes on to explain, I'm an Anglican. And most Anglicans are various hues and colors from around the world. The most typical Anglican is a 30-year-old African woman. Not always what we think of when we think of Episcopal Church, Anglican. We first need to be aware of what are the racist thoughts and presuppositions deep down within all of us. Only after beginning to make an attempt at awareness can we begin to try to be open to God's renewal, to God's turning us, which is really what repentance is. It's a, it's a turning to God in some new way. 
Today's gospel was not chosen to coincide with a discussion on racism, but I think the Holy Spirit is using her sense of humor and her wisdom by placing the gospel for us to hear it today. Because in today's gospel, I'm sorry to say it, and it may verge on um, naughty theology, but the Avenue Q characters would put it this way, Jesus appears a little bit racist. In today's gospel, Jesus is a long way from home, but he's still carrying home inside him. He's still that boy from Galilee, and he has all the prejudices and presuppositions that he was taught as a Jew growing up in that small, small area. In today's gospel, he's in a northern area, a, day, a part that today would be a part of Lebanon. And there Jesus encounters this woman, this woman whose name we don't know. Um, the evangelist doesn't bother to give us her name. Instead, he describes her. She's a Syrophoenician. In another gospel, she's the Canaanite woman. The gospel writer Mark doesn't bother with her name. He doesn't need to. He said what he wants to say. It's like we do sometimes. And we say, we don't mean to be racist. Oh, no, 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 not at all. We're just trying to be clear. We're just trying to identify someone. And so we will speak of someone as that Hispanic lawyer or that black doctor or that nice Indian family down the street. Or we might refer to that guy at work, you know, the Middle Eastern or Indian or something. That's what the evangelist is doing by calling this woman simply the Syrophoenician. He's communicating what he wants to get across. She's different. She's not Jewish. She's not like Jesus. She doesn't worship the right God. She's not from the right place. She doesn't look like you and me. She's different. And yet she approaches Jesus. She comes up to Jesus and she asks him a simple thing. Lord, if you're willing, would you heal my daughter? It's amazing what Jesus does. This is not the Jesus I grew up loving, the gentle, sweet, mild, meek Jesus. This Jesus has other things to do. He shrugs her off. And he uses what would have been a common expression of his day. And he he says to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So here Jesus is making clear the children are the children of Israel. Jesus is people, the Jews, God's chosen holy ones. But it's also clear who Jesus means the dogs are. It's everybody else, including this woman in front of him. This woman's problems and this woman and her people are outside Jesus' purview. It's not a part of his mission, he believes. It's beyond his job description. And yet the woman snaps back, doesn't she? Perhaps she's had enough of these haughty religious types looking down their noses at her. What she says is a kind of theological disobedience. She refuses to get off the bus. She refuses not to sit at the counter. She's had enough. And so she looks Jesus dead in the eye. And she says it may not be fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But even the dogs under the table get to eat the children's scraps. Snap. 
something snaps, if not breaks. Something happens to Jesus. Something shifts. Something breaks open. Whatever happens, a lot is opened up. The woman's little girl at home is healed. The woman has healed into a new place of strength. And Jesus himself seems healed. He's all of a sudden, in this moment, healed of his prejudice. He's healed of his short-sightedness. Jesus is healed of his parochialism. I dare say Jesus is healed of his racism. Jesus is made aware. And awareness is the beginning. Jesus and us can be made more aware of the insidious and unspoken ways that our habits, our customs, our culture supports racism. Like Jesus, if we're open to rebuke, open to the Spirit's power, then we can begin to be open to repentance, to changing, to being turned around. But because we're not Jesus, we don't get it right every time thereafter. We're slow learners, most of us. And so we go forward by listening, at least by listening. And for those of us who, for any reason, are in any kind of racial majority, listening is probably the very hardest thing to do. Mike Kenman is the dean of the cathedral in St. Louis, the Episcopal Cathedral, Christ Church. And he tells a powerful story about his uh, repenting, his turning, his changing to a new place of understanding he needs to listen in the wake of the killing of Michael Brown, Dean Kenman had the, the response that I would hope he would have. I would hope a priest would have. I would hope that I might have. He was furious. He was angry. He knew he had to do something. And so he got busy. He got on the phone and he began to call everybody he knew. And being the dean of the Episcopal Cathedral in St. Louis, he knew a lot of people. He knew the powers and the movers, the the shakers. He knew everybody. And so he called them all and he planned this teach-in, this event, where all the the wise people of St. Louis would come together and offer their wisdom and their thoughts and their ideas around race and power and privilege. It would be a great thing and it would begin to work toward healing. Talk, 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 talk. He didn't understand it that way at first. It took his friend, the Reverend Tracy Blackman, to take him aside. Reverend Blackman is the pastor of Christ the King, United Church of Christ. And she took her friend aside and said to him, probably with a slightly Syrophoenician accent. She said, Mike, that's your privilege talking. That's your privilege. You need to stop and you need to listen. Something snapped for Dean Kenman. He understood what was true for him, what's true for me, what's true for many in this room, that because of our our race, our gender, our educational level, our economic level, our economic potential, our advantages, we're able and used to controlling things. When anything goes wrong, we kind of know how to deal with it. We make calls, we, we pull a few strings, we call in favors, we get things fixed. We do things, that's who we are. And we're used to people paying attention. Dean Kenman realized he's in a new place. He's being called to listen, not to fix, 
not to translate, not to amplify the voices of those that haven't been listened to, nor to tame them or make them more palatable, but simply to listen. As he says, the voices have been crying out for a long time, and they're crying out now. They need to be heard, especially by people like him, by people like me, perhaps by people like you. That's the hardest thing to do, is to listen, to really hear. If you're at all like me, you want to interject and say, oh, but you're not talking about me. I'm not like those racists. I'm not like that. I try to be different. I do my best. I'm on your side. It's not time for that. It's not my right or my business to interrupt, to simplify, to interject, to respond or to defend. It's time to listen. And in listening, to pray. Later in today's gospel, there's another story sort of tacked on. It's another story of healing, where Jesus heals the man who's deaf and mute. And in that, that part of the gospel, there's that funny Aramaic word, ephetha, be opened It's a simple, small phrase, but it's a powerful one. What mighty, mighty words those are. There's a lot of opening going on in today's gospel. Jesus is opened and healed as his mind, his perspective, his sense of mission, his sense of himself is open, wide open in a whole new way. We too can be opened as well. And whenever that happens, we become a little, a little less racist. We live in a society that very much continues to see race and color and class before it sees anything else. And so what do we do? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we subvert the racist tendencies in ourselves, in our families, in our churches, in our our work, in our institutions. But it's the source of my prayer, and I hope it will be yours. If Jesus were standing right here in front of us today, looking in our eyes, looking in our hearts and saying, Be opened, Ephetha. What might he be calling out of us? Who is he calling us to be? How might he be calling us to change, to turn, to repent, to grow? I'm not sure, but I think we can begin by becoming more aware by being more open and by listening. May God's holy and life-giving spirit move every heart so that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we might live into justice and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.